Hi, everybody. My name is B. Bonner, and you're listening to Community Voices right here on NPR Illinois. And today, I am talking to one of Springfield's leading ladies, Mary Kate Smith. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, thank you for having me, B. Yeah, well, you know, first off, we kind of want to know where you're from. So I am originally, I was born in Pennsylvania, actually grew up on the East Coast in uh, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, and moved to Springfield when I was in sixth grade. So right before high school, moved to Springfield and spent my high school days at good old Pleasant Plains High School. (laughs) Lived in Springfield, took that big old bus ride out to Pleasant Plains. And then as much as I love it here now, I did not love it um, when Mm. I was in high school. It's just, it's a really hard time to move. And I had a huge Italian family on the East Coast and we just sort of like picked up and left and I was really out of place. So after living here for a little while, I moved to Chicago, did a one year stint in college, decided it wasn't quite for me at the time. So moved to Chicago to Los Angeles from there and then wound up back here. So here I am, kind of been all over the place. You've had quite the journey. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'm so glad you're here because a lot of people in Springfield, we know you from being on the stages at the Muni, at the Hoagland, just everywhere. And so I kind of want to take it back a little bit because not a lot of us know about where you started with your theater and music journey. So can you tell us maybe what was like your first performance or when do you remember really saying theater and singing is for me? The first performance that I remember, I was a munchkin in The Wizard of Oz. And uh, I think my mom took me to a community theater audition because she didn't know what else to do with me. I was one of those kids that was always singing, teaching myself how to play instruments, singing along with the radio. And I think she really just wasn't sure what my place was going to be. So that was my first introduction to community theater. And when we were on the East Coast, like in New Jersey, I did a couple different shows at different playhouses and things. And then, like I said, we kind of moved out here right as I was starting my teenage years. And again, like I said, it was rough. And my mom, again, I think thought, okay, this was the thing that she was passionate about. So let's find places. And I give her a lot of credit because this was before the internet. So you'd have had to do some legwork to figure out where things were happening and and what theaters were doing shows. And she took me uh, when I was in eighth grade to my first audition for Androcles and the Lion (laughs) at the Springfield Theater Guild, which is where the legacy is now. And I'm so grateful that she did because that... That really helped me find a place here. Even when things weren't going great in school, I felt like after school I was headed to rehearsals and I was going to learn music and I really found my place there. Well, it's like a sense of community. And so when you were that age and, you know, your mom started getting you involved, did you ever think that this would be your career down the line? 100%. I really did. And I think pretty quickly, I really romanticized a career in the arts in that I never really worried about being famous. Mm -hmm. I never really worried about being wealthy or using it to pay my bills. I just didn't care. I just <laughs> I just wanted to sing and, and make music and be on stage. So I really did. That was always something and that I I kind of in the back of my mind knew it. And you know how it goes. As you're growing up and you're going through high school and college, you know, everybody is, you know, what's your fallback plan? Mm-hmm. What's plan B? What are you gonna do if it doesn't work out? How will you pay your bills? And I've been very lucky that I've always found ways to do that that still incorporate my performance passion and my performance background. I love that because oftentimes we get people on here when I ask them that question, they say, nope, I thought I was going to do something completely <laughs> different or I had to have a backup plan. So it's nice to hear someone that, you know, had that dream and was able to live it. You talked a little bit earlier about your time in L.A. and Chicago. And for us people here in Springfield, we're like, <laughs> what? 
<laughs> so how was that transition to these different places? It was different every time. Growing up in New Jersey, I always imagined I would wind up in New York City. Like we were not far from there. We went there. So for me, it was like, okay, as soon as I get through school, I'm just going to go to New York. And like I said, whether it was just me in a backpack and I would just figure it out. Mm -hmm. But when we moved here, Chicago kind of became that for me. Mm -hmm. It was the closest, biggest city where I could make music. There was a theater environment. So after I graduated high school, I did go to school for a year studying musical theater. I loved it. But once it became work, I was like, oh, man, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I love singing music. I don't love music theory, you know, so I had to sort of like figure out what parts of that I was going to really devote and and be passionate about. So I did kind of pick up and just move to Chicago and it was scary. And I moved with some friends, so I wasn't ever on my own, but it wasn't as scary as, as it might be for most people. I think just because growing up where I did, it was something that I kind of always knew would be part of my path. But Chicago was great. I moved up there and was really fortunate to start doing theater and playing music right away. Sort of lived in a very bohemian three-flat apartment <laughs> in Lincoln Square where I tell the story a lot, which now it horrifies me, but I don't know how we survived. But there were all these artists that lived in this house in different floors. And if there was one month where one of us couldn't pay the electric bill, we would just run extension cords oh, up to that goodness. apartment. And, you know, if it was like... <laughs> Somebody was having a good month and they were going to, you know, they booked a lot of shows and they were doing okay and they were paying everybody else, you know. So now I look back and I'm like, oh my goodness. Like, don't ever do that again. I do. And well, and I think about like my own kids now, like, I don't know that I would want that for them. But at the same time, it was great. Like I said, I never worried about being rich or famous. It was really just about making ends meet. And then I started um, in a show up there called Tony and Tina's Wedding, which is a really long running dinner theater, pretty successful up in Chicago. So once I did that, I sort of had a steady theater job that sort of allowed me to do lots of other things while I was doing that at night too, just sort of experimenting with recording music and writing music. So yeah, it was was interesting. One of my favorite memories about Chicago, I was actually one of my day jobs when I was there as I started working for a nanny agency. And that was when I sort of realized how much I did miss the educational aspect Mm. of the performing arts. I would work with kids a lot during the day at day camps. Old Town School of Folk Music was right around the corner from my apartment. I did a lot of like music therapy with nonverbal kids. So I, I started to realize maybe this is something that I really enjoy more than I realized I did. But one of the things that that also led to is I would babysit often for artists that were coming in to do work at the Steppenwolf. So they would come in Mm -hmm. with their families and I would be there to sort of help. So I started actually working pretty closely for some of the founding members, Jeff Perry, Gary Sinise, people that were coming in. And so I would oftentimes get to just kind of sit in on their meetings, sit on on some of their rehearsals. So that was a really cool way to meet some people. I definitely had tons of just bump into on the street, randomly celebrities. I joke all the time that I at one point had coffee with John Cusack because we did actually (laughs) share a table at a Starbucks in Evanston. But yeah, I mean, it's lots of really interesting people and cool connections being made up there. I love that. And did you have the same experience in LA? Los Angeles, when I moved there, it was sort of like I felt like I had maxed out what I wanted to do in Chicago and I needed a change. Mm -hmm. And I was with somebody at the time who was a screenwriter and playwriter. So he was interested in moving to Los Angeles. So again, I thought this might be a time in my life where I head back to New York, but we wound up going to LA instead, which was great. I got really fortunate out there because it was sort of the early 2000s and the sort of piano playing female vocalist thing was very big, like your Nora Jones and Sarah Bareilles Mm -hmm. and Tori Amos. And so I was able to book shows really quickly as a 
singing female pianist and songwriter. So my first show out there was actually at the Viper Room, which is owned by Johnny Depp. And I made connections really quickly, which was great on one hand. But what I realized pretty quickly out there is that it is really a constant grind and a constant hustle. Every interaction that you had was a business interaction. It was, you know, looking people looking for clients or managers or booking gigs or getting auditions or sharing business cards. And like I said earlier, as someone who's kind of introverted, that was really exhausting for me. It was sort of eye-opening because I felt like I was checking all the boxes that I wanted to check. Like that little 10-year-old me was like, (laughs) yes, this is what we're going to do. And I was like, okay, I'm doing all the stuff, but I'm not loving it. And I couldn't quite figure out why, like what piece was missing. So while I was in Los Angeles, I had actually only been out there for a couple months and my dad got really sick Mm. and he was here in Springfield. I had a lot of really difficult conversations with him. My dad was a nuclear physicist, so he was never super on board with my professional decision to just be an artist. (laughs) But when I was in Los Angeles, he was like, no, like, don't come home for me. Like, you just got yourself out there. I didn't listen to him, which I never listened to him. So (laughs) (laughs) I wound up coming home when he was very sick and he passed away in 2005. So then I was sort of at this crossroads of okay, like I'm out in Los Angeles. I'd only been there for a year. I was making good connections. Mm -hmm. I was able to work in the industry, but I just wasn't happy. And losing a parent, I think when you're feeling that way, it's like you're at this crossroads and you've just literally like held his hand as he passed away. And I think it kind of just changed my perspective about Mm -hmm. what my time on earth was for. How could I use that performance background to just do good. You know, it sounds corny, but I really felt like a real big perspective change. So I did go back to Los Angeles after he passed away for a little bit because I promised myself I wouldn't make a big life decision while I was just depressed, you know? So I went back and I hustled so hard, but it still just felt a little empty Mm -hmm. to me. So I came back here. And again, I still kind of thought, Maybe once this the dust kind of settles, mm-hmm. I will not feel this way anymore and I will move to New York and do that. Like mm-hmm. sort of that roundabout yep. thing that I thought I would always do, maybe now is the time. So I came back and I thought, you know what, while I'm here for a summer, I'm going to just see what's going on at the Springfield Muni Opera. Yeah. Like that way I can at least put something on my resume. Like I'm not taking total time off and I can go out and do a show and then you know, get going. And so we were talking again with Mm -hmm. Vanessa off air. They were doing Aida that summer, which when I had lived in Chicago, Aida was in workshops. So they were doing um, at the Cadillac Palace. Mm -hmm. They were doing like their pre-run and a good friend of mine worked for Playbill. So he was kind of writing on Aida. So we went and saw it. I mean, it must have been a dozen times while they were in previews. And I would just go along because I loved it so much. And it was beautiful because I got to see the show change. You know, they were changing things and adding songs, pulling things out. So it felt like a sign. I was like, oh my gosh, they're doing it at the (laughs) Muni. I love the show. I know the show so well. So I auditioned for that and really just kind of fell in love with the Springfield theater community. Like you said, I mean, it was just like a family right out of the gate. And then I fell in love with my husband, who was also part of the Springfield theater community. And he was kind of doing a similar thing. Like he was had just graduated law school, wasn't sure what he was going to do, came back, thought he'd just do some shows, make some friends. So we met each other and decided like, 
maybe here was where we were meant to be. So such a special place. It really oh is. It, I mean, you can't overstate it. And until mm-hmm. you've been there, and I tell people all the time, especially people that aren't like maybe artistically inclined mm-hmm. that are like, oh man, I wish there was something like that for me. Like I can't sing, I can't dance. But Muni and the community theater in general, the Legacy, mm-hmm. the Hoagland, Theater in the Park, like there are so many ways to get involved and it is such a great community. Well, that is absolutely beautiful and absolutely amazing and as we're talking about the Springfield Theater community and your involvement in it you were just talking about the Muni and I feel like for a lot of people that has been a very big part of their life and existence in Springfield so I want to talk a little bit about your time there because you have been in so many of the Muni shows (laughs) and what has been one of the most rewarding parts or shows that you have taken part in out at the Muni? I've been so lucky, and I always preface this, especially like when I tell my students, I auditioned for the Muni when I was in high school and never got cast. It took Mm. me a long time, and I think it was, there was a lot of things, you know, the way I looked, the way I sounded, a million different things, the way I was in general about my confidence. Mm -hmm. People always say, oh, you've done so much out there, and I always think it's important to say, like, you know, there were a lot of years where Mm -hmm. it was hard for me to find a place too. That being said, like, I have been so fortunate out there to play some incredible, incredible roles that mm-hmm. I'm so proud of. The two that stick out a lot for me are Ava Prone in Evita mm-hmm. and Mary Poppins in Mary mm-hmm. Poppins. Those, those are probably two of my favorites for very different reasons, but they were super rewarding, beautiful shows with great creative teams. I made some incredible friends that I know will be friends for the rest of my life. Mary Poppins was just, that was a dream role for me because I had just grown up watching that movie Mm. and then even you know when I lived in Chicago I worked as a nanny you know it was like just always (laughs) sort of like the singing nanny was like it just felt so natural to me and I got to fly which was like that's always check that off the bucket list (laughs) like to get to fly over the Muni stage was just it's something I I will always remember and always cherish Evita was another show that was just super super powerful and important just an incredible story about an incredible female so it was as fun as Mary Poppins, but maybe heavier. I Mm -hmm. felt like with that show, there was a responsibility to really tell that story well and inspire people with that story. And probably the most important thing about that was it was the first time I got a chance to share the stage with my daughter, Stella, who was also in that show. And so of all the things, that show moved so fast and there were a million costume changes. And so I felt like sometimes that show would start and I would just go and not really get a chance to enjoy it while it was happening. Mm -hmm. As fast as that show moved, there was one beautiful song where I got to just literally stand on stage and these children just held hands and stood around me and sang and I just remember watching my daughter and again thinking this is so beautiful because I'm seeing her Mm -hmm. enter this community that I love so much and that I know will always support her and will always have her back and it's so great to see your kids become passionate People always ask me, like, is it important to you that your kids are passionate about theater? And I always just say it's important to me that my kids are passionate, period. But my kids, I think probably just from exposure to it growing up out there, have all really enjoyed theater and music and and are passionate about it. So getting to see them become part of that community is great. So having those experiences at Muni and those roles where they meant something more than they were bigger than me, Mm -hmm. that's always been really cool. A lot of full circle moments. I love it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Well, I do want to address because you brought up something interesting earlier about when you're talking to students and you tell them, you know, how long it took you to audition and be able to get in a show. And, you know, you brought up maybe it's about the way you look, the way you sound. You know, I think that those are topics when it comes to the theater world some people shy away from. So when you're talking to students, how do you give them the harsh reality of the entertainment world sometimes because it can be brutal. I have a a pretty unique perspective on it. I think just from life experience, Mm -hmm. like we were talking about um, when my dad passed away, it really shook me up and I was in a spot where I thought I knew exactly what I wanted, which is not unlike going into an audition and being sure that you are the right person for the role and you have worked as hard as you possibly can Mm -hmm. and you know you're where you're supposed to be and then you put your dreams in somebody else's hands and it's out of your control and maybe it doesn't go the way that you were hoping and we've all felt that way whether it's about an audition or a job interview or a relationship where you think I've worked hard this is what I want this is what I need and then it doesn't work out and when my dad passed away I really felt like, what is this timing? Like Mm -hmm. I had just moved to Los Angeles, but I know now, like in hindsight, I would never have met my husband had that not happened to me. So I I think that sort of perspective translates into an audition too. Mm -hmm. I've definitely seen that in my career and like the shows that I've auditioned for. And then it doesn't work out and you have to sort of sit back with all the whys and the what ifs. But at this point in my life, every single time that's happened to me, Mm there's been a reason that doesn't give any comfort in the moment and I know <laughs> I know that when you yeah. leave an audition or you get that phone call that it's just not your time that rejection and that sadness is so real and so palpable but what I tell my students is that you never see the whole puzzle mm-hmm. you know you see just your piece of it and you walk in and you do your best and I had a vocal coach once that told me you could be the juiciest ripest peach on the tree but if they want an apple they're not going to pick you right so you just never never know what people's grand plan looks like even though that heartbreak is so real it is so so real in the moment and I never want to diminish that and laying on the couch and eating a pint of ice cream is 100% okay and being mad at the world for a day or two is okay but I just do always feel like just keep your eyes on the horizon though because it just means that something else is is waiting for you as corny as that sounds I have Mm -hmm. seen that happen so many times that I really do believe it Oh, yeah, I believe it. too. And so I've learned a lot just from like the different mentors in my life, whether they're voice teachers, they're drama teachers, whoever it is. And now you have that experience with owning your own studio. So I want to talk a little bit about that as we talked about you mentoring kids and sharing your experience. When did you decide you needed to go into business? It was a weird decision. After I moved back here and my husband Jake and I kind of settled in Petersburg, which is where he's from, I actually went back to school and got my teaching certificate. So when I originally went to school for musical theater, I was going to minor with Mm -hmm. music education. So I thought, okay, if I'm going to be in Petersburg, I'm not going to be doing professional acting. I'm not going to be doing professional Mm -hmm. singing. Um, What is something that I can do to sort of still be passionate and still infuse the arts into whatever I do in a day job? Mm -hmm. And like I said, when I was in Chicago, I education was always something that kind of was in and out of whatever else I was doing. So I did go back and get my education degree taught at Porta out in Petersburg for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I loved it. What I loved the most was being able to infuse a performance background into my teaching. I mean, Mm -hmm. like praise to every teacher that's ever existed. Teaching is performance. You are putting on a show 
all day long. There are no breaks. There are no understudies. Like you are, that is what you do. So for me, it felt like a performance. And so at every turn, I kind of wanted to reach more and more kids. So I wound up moving from just a general classroom to a fine arts position where I was working with all the kids in the school and kind of doing a lot of cross-curricular things. So it was art, music, drama, just the whole nine. And I really, really loved that and really started to feel like it was a great way to reach underserved populations and kiddos that were struggling. So I just kind of kept having this like nagging, like kind of tug that I wanted to get back into vocal coaching. I wanted to get back into the performance aspects of education. It just felt like the right time. So I started started to look around at spaces in Petersburg. And Petersburg is a small, we're like 25 minutes from Springfield, but it really was experiencing this kind of renaissance. There Mm. were just incredible businesses opening, incredible storefronts, incredible business owners, lots of female-owned businesses. And I just felt like it was just the right time to try something. So I decided to leave school and open the studio on the square. And I thought when I opened it that it would just be kind of like a little vocal coaching Mm -hmm. studio. And that was the space I was looking for. But I found this incredible building in Petersburg. But I thought, you know what, let me open up this studio and see if in a couple months we can kind of fill it with other people that are looking to do the same things. And again, you know, we talk a lot about underserved communities in larger cities, but rural kids are oftentimes just disconnected from things that are going on in bigger cities. So I wanted to kind of provide some of the amazing things that we have here in Springfield in Petersburg. We have just scads of people in there, over 80 students enrolled in, in private and class artistic opportunities of all ages from birth to adulthood. Different teachers in there all the time with everything from art and drama and music. And we've started to incorporate fitness and yoga, instrumental lessons. So it has really just blossomed. And so I really just felt really lucky to be the person to get to kind of bring that to a town like Petersburg. 18 months after we open, it's we're going to expand in January into oh some goodness. bigger space. So yeah, we're in this amazing building and Petersburg is just full of incredible architecture. So we've just been on the first floor of that building, which is great space. We've got four studios on the bottom floor um, that we rent out that we use. And the upstairs space has been sort of in flux. So we're um, working on finishing it up now and we'll move up into the second story to kind of offer some more studio space and rental space and very excited about it expanding and giving more people space to breathe and dream and yeah it's been great well I think that is the perfect message to wrap things up for us here I really love like you said community centered and serving those communities that really need needed and especially here in Springfield in central Illinois we are so lucky to have you and others like you that really understand that message so Mary Kate Smith thank you so much for being here today also I know people are, are out there and they're like how can I keep up with you where can we learn more about Studio on the Square so tell us where to find you or any other information like social media yes thank you the studio on the square.com is our kind of website hub and we're also on social media is the studio on the square we'd love to have people come out and visit and, and come to petersburg take a class and then grab lunch go shopping i mean it's literally it's the best vacation you can take it's just it's so great but i love having the studio there to offer things as well there are so many great organizations arts organizations in springfield of course i lean into the theater ones but the hoagland center and the legacy and, and theater in the park and the muni just know that on the other side there are people like with their arms open just rooting for you and wanting that community to grow so get involved to listen to past community voices segments please visit nprillinois.org i'm b bonner thanks for listening and good afternoon